Hi there and welcome to Vroom, your weekly motorsport fix with me, Michael Hill. Hey there everybody, welcome back to the Vroom podcast. Hopefully you've not missed us too much. Uh, it has been uh, quite difficult to coordinate things with the hectic schedules of the various championships this year, but I'm um, pleased to say that we are now back firing on all cylinders and looking forward to entertaining you once again in our run-up to the new year and, of course, the build-up to the 2022 season. Lots to look forward to over the coming weeks and months, lots of new names to be introducing you to, and we'll be kicking off our show today with a young 16-year-old, Jamie Davis, Uh, a youngster who has been racing in the British Talent Cup uh, for a couple of years. Uh, He spent the last uh, year or so racing in Spain in the uh, highly successful and uh, highly professional ESBK Championship. So we'll be chatting to him in a few moments' time. A little bit later on today, we'll be talking to Dominique Agata, the 2021 Supersport World Champion. Next week, we'll give you uh, just a couple of names uh, to look forward to. Adrian Huertas, the 2021 Supersport 300 World Champion, will be joined by Axel Peterson, the teenager who was racing in Moto America this year, and Axel, who is actually a Kiwi but lives in Thailand. So uh, lots to talk about with him on next week's show. And then in a couple of weeks' time, we'll be talking to Toprak Razgatlioglu, the uh, rider that shot to prominence in 2014 and 2015 in the Superstock 600 Championship. You, of course, will know him now as the 2021 FIM Superbike World Champion. We'll also be having a look back over the next couple of shows at the various champions uh, in all disciplines of motorcycle racing. And uh, we've got uh, some exciting new guests lined up for the 2022 season. Uh, We'll be talking to Jack Dance and uh, Toby Martin, uh, the youngsters who uh, romped to victory in the Trials World Championship We're also going to be uh, having our first interviews with some motocross and enduro riders, as well as uh, speaking to uh, some exciting new names that we've got coming to World Superbike next year. Xavi Vieca, Ikola Kwona, to name just two. Uh, Again, we will just point out, if you do want to get involved in the show, uh, I know some of you have been already sending us in some questions for Dominique Agata, uh, you can do so. Follow me on Twitter at mhillofficial, M-H-I-L-L official. Send any questions or if you've got any riders that you'd like us to reach out to or drivers, uh, if you're a four-wheel fan that you'd like us to speak to, uh, we'll do our very best to get them on the show over the coming months. But enough of me waffling on. You're going to have enough of that for the next 45 minutes. It's time to speak to our first guest and welcome Jamie Davis. Well, our first guest on the Vroom podcast after a few months' absence is 16-year-old Jamie Davis, the young British rider that has spent most of his racing career not in the UK, but in Spain. He's dialing in now in front of a very lovely-looking Christmas tree, I have to say. It's, I know you guys can't actually see it, but we're recording it on Zoom, as always, and uh, looking very festive this morning, Jamie. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm really good, thank you, Michael. Um, yeah, the Christmas tree is a uh, early... early um show to the living room but you know they, they put it up and yeah we get get a bit festive early oh when you say they put it up you, you didn't have any hand in putting up the uh the tinsel there. i mean it's looking i've got to say it is a splendid tree as trees goes i mean i'm, I'm not an expert in christmas trees but it is a, it's a marvelous specimen <laughs> yeah i think it's um it's fake uh the, the leaves but um no i've done none of it i was in spain and i got back to um some lights on the house and the christmas tree and so yeah happy day so the party's at your house then yeah, the party's here. 
10 people max. Brilliant. That's it. COVID rules, of course. We have to continue to uh, to follow yeah. the guidance. Let's not, let's not even go down the COVID rules because no, I know when we uh, when we were in the uh, the middle of the lockdown about a year ago, I think every every podcast we did there was various views flying around on COVID. Really? But I'm staying positive. We're getting out of it. We've had a great yeah. racing season, uh, and obviously from from your point of view, I actually got to to see you race in person this year. It's been a while since I saw you at um, the British Talent Cup, but you've you've been over in Spain running for the 50 Motorsport team, which Again, for some of the listeners uh, that are not in Europe that aren't aware, 50 Motorsports team is run by uh, a former racer, isn't it? So uh, you've uh, yeah. certainly, certainly done yourself uh, good by getting in there with someone that knows knows how to race at the sharp end. Yeah, no, for sure. He is. Um, he was a Spanish champion in the championship I'm racing in now on the 1,000. And it is good because he can understand where I'm coming from in situations and he understands the problem what I have in this corner or that corner because he's rode the tracks as well and um, he has the racing mindset and he understands how it's difficult to sometimes find half a second or so you know it's easy for him to go on the track and see where I can improve um, so it, it is definitely beneficial having someone run the team who has obviously been a racer himself at a high level. Yeah no absolutely uh, Raul Garcia uh, of course um, was I think he was working with um, Hector Faubel, wasn't he, at one point? Oh, did he yeah. ride for Hector? Or yeah. was it, did Hector we, ride for we, him? We, I can't remember which way around it was, but there was yeah. some connection with Hector, wasn't there? Yeah, Hector had his own team, which I was in when I was 11 to 13, and or 10, 10 to 12, sorry. And I was Raul's teammate. He was on the 1,000, and I was the Moto4 rider for a year. So funny now how I'm his rider. But yeah, yeah. So we were both in the same team and he was obviously Hector's rider. Yeah, yeah no, good stuff. And again, you're mentioning Moto4. So again, we get a lot of listeners in Australia and in the US as well. So Moto4 is basically the, the prequel to, to pre-Moto3. And then you get into Moto3 and it's, you know, we have the European Talent Cup, the British Talent Cup, the Asia Talent Cup. And it kind of, it falls into that sort of sort of category. But you know, as you said, Jimmy, I mean, you've, you're only just 16 and it's it's pretty phenomenal what you've actually raced in and the championships you've been in, as you said, from the age of 10 racing in the Spanish Moto4 Championship. It's a brave decision, isn't it? I know when I spoke to Gino Ria um, a couple of years ago, he also took that route, not into Moto4 because I don't think the championship existed um, back then because obviously Gino's about 55 now, isn't he? He's getting on. But uh, he also elected not to, to stay in the UK. He went overseas and then went into Superstock. And obviously we all know what a great career springboarded for him from that. How difficult was it for you when you sort of, you know, you're living in the UK, you're not a million miles away from, from London, from Gatwick Airport, you know, to say, actually, I'm just going to up sticks. I'm going to, I'm going to homeschool. I'm going to do all these things that, you know, that my mates aren't doing. And we're going to go yeah. and pursue our dream in, in a different country. Well, before we got to Spain, when I was 10, I was racing in the championship, which most British riders started, it's fab racing. And I started racing there when I was six and I won a few mini moto championships and the metric kit by the age of nine. And then my mentor, or whatever you want to say, is Danny Webb. He's been coaching me since I was five. Oh, he's been called a lot worse than a mentor, mate. He's been called a lot worse than a mentor, <laughs> for sure. So, yeah, he's been he's been with me since I was five, six years old. And when we got to the age nine and ten, he said, look, there's a championship in Spain, which would be good for Jamie. I've got a team which I can bring him into. So we were like, yeah, because in England, you can't, you have to kind of stay in that until... I think it was super teens when you're 13, but when you're 13, I was, I was, you know, leading races in the European talent cup up against, you know, Manuel Gonzalez, Michael Kawakami. So 
yeah, we, we got to Spain when I was 10 on the uh, 80cc, the two-stroke. And then um, halfway through the season, I switched to the Moto4 with Hector and I got a podium in my first race with other riders like Pedro Acosta, Danny Halgado, Javi Artigas, all them riders. And then, uh, yeah, made the step up to ETC. Obviously, it was quite a big step. It was the first year of ETC where it came out. And I think that was the year Manuel Gonzalez won it. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, we got into that. And then the following year, I had a massive growth spurt. Um, I was 10 kilos heavier than everyone else. And then uh, it was we were just kind of stuck in the middle. We couldn't move up because if we were to move up, it was 160,000 to go into Moto3. And then uh, there was, we couldn't go 600 and what have you. So we just stayed another year in ETC, which wasn't the best idea but it was the only thing we could really do um, it wasn't the best year we had and then uh, the following year we got to we went back to England because we were again stuck in the middle um, we went to that the Moto Star Moto 3 and uh, it was definitely a big shock coming from Spain to England you know with Cadwell you're, you're jumping and the tracks are the same size as the pit lanes in Spain it's um do you know, it's funny that you say that because we've done so many conversations on the Vroom podcast and, and obviously I'm quite fortunate. I've traveled around the world and, and, and yeah. seen many, many different championships. And, you know, people always say, oh, you, you, you're you not supporting the British championship. And it's like, no, no, I want to state again. I'm not against the British championship. The British championship is a fantastic series. It's well run. It's well promoted. The racing is superb. But the riding style is different. The tracks yeah. are different. And it's not yeah. me having a go at Britain. That's just the way it is. It's the same as when you go to America. You know, I spend a lot of time in America now. And a lot of their circuits are, you know, you look at them and you think, wow, this you, you wouldn't race these in, in a world championship. That's not to say that they're not safe. It's just that they're, it's a different, it's just a different way, isn't it? It's just a different yeah. style of, of, of riding and circuits, you know, I mean. I think in Moto America, they have a circuit I remember going to in 2019 called Sonoma. And you've got air fences along along the walls, you know, which it just reminds me of you go to Alton Park over Clay Hill. Is it Clay Hill? You go up over the bank and it's all blind yeah. through the trees. And same as you mentioned with Cadwell, you're jumping and then you're going through whole bends. There is no room for error. You know, oh, exactly. a lot of the European circuits, like you said, sure, you can crash and you can still get injured, but you have a lot of runoff and it's it's exactly. it's they're just designed differently, I guess. I think that's that's what makes the kids nowadays so so fearless and fast. It's just the fact that they can go into a corner and break a hundred meters later and know they have that that runoff to okay, I need to break a little bit earlier. And then they they find that limit so fast on the Thursday because we get the Thursday practice as well in Spain. Mm -hmm. We get we get like a whole BSB weekend in one day. So it's it's um it's really easy to get up to speed on the first day and then you just find that point one, point two throughout the whole weekend and it's so close and but the racing is so so professional at such a young age so it is hard especially if you're coming from England to Spain to adapt and get get used to that all but yeah I think it was definitely the right choice going over to Spain because I've definitely got I like to think the racecraft and the um, maturity on the track now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I saw you racing on a 600 and, you know, I, it's funny because I remember you being on the paddock show at Donington a few years ago. And, you know, as you said, you're quite a, a tall, tall lad. You know, you don't you're not you don't you're not like a small, petite little 16 year old lad that's racing a motorbike. So to actually see you on the 600 and I remember talking to your dad going, oh, he must be 18 or 19 now. And he's like, no, no, he's just 16. I'm like, bloody yeah. hell. Like, <laughs> it's impressive to see what you what you're doing. I would ask you just one thing, and I was going to talk about it later in the show, but um, it's something that we'll be talking to our other guest, uh, Dominique Agatha, a little bit later. So I'll be interested just to get your take on it. 
Obviously, um, we all know the, the, the dangers involved in, in motorcycle racing and motorsport in general, and there's a raft of new rules that have been brought in on, on the, world, uh, the world stage, limiting you know, grid sizes and raising the age limits and, and things like that. You know, as you said, you've been riding, okay, not on, not on huge big bikes, but you've been riding on tarmac since you were six. So, you, you know, you'd like to think now at 10 years under your belt, you've, you've got some experience. You mentioned then about, you know, on a, on a Friday, you're, you're getting up to speed. That the track's very different to, to to riding in the UK. You know, if you get it wrong or you run a, a foot offline at Cadwell Park, you're on the grass. You know, yeah. there is no margin for error. In a lot of the circuits, if not all of the circuits in, in Europe, you now have these painted strips. The curbs are very flat. Um, what's your take on it as a young rider? And I'm interested in this because obviously you're coming through, you know, you've learned to ride like that. Do you feel that if the circuits were... Do you think the circuits are too safe? I guess is the question, you know, and, I, and that sounds a stupid question that I'm asking, but, you know, do you think if there, were, if there wasn't this opportunity for riders to just skirt a little bit of the, the, the curbs, you know, which are not really curbs anymore, are they? They're just painted tarmac, to be yeah. honest. You know, do you feel that if, if some of this runoff area, we see it in um, Mizano Springs to mind, you come out of the last corner at Mizano and you see in Moto2, Moto3, they're right to the curb. Yeah. But, the, it, you know, if that was as it was 10 years ago, it would be grass. So you'd have to shut the throttle, otherwise you would potentially crash, right? So what's your take on it all? I think, like, if you do go back 10, 15 years to the same tracks, they won't have all the runoff and, you know, you say it'll just be straight grass. And I think racing on that, it will probably help you to become a more precise, consistent rider because now it's like, um, watching World Superbikes and MotoGP, you know, especially like Top Rack, he just goes in, he's on one wheel and he can he can run wide and, you know, afford to make the um, the mistake. But I think if you did go back 10 years, you know, you can't, you have to stay consistent, break at the same point, really, really figure out where is the best place to overtake because you can't, you can't break 50 metres later to try and overtake and dive bomb someone because, you'll just you'll go straight onto the grass but now you can and you can afford to run wide a little bit lose half a second and then gain it back a bit so I think I think there's obviously pros and cons but I think definitely going back you'll be more consistent and more precise with your moves but I think now also there's more there's so much more not talent but there's so many more fast riders and um, I think there's so much more speed coming up at such a young age. There has to be definitely more certain, um, what's it, safety procedures because yeah. it's so ruthless at, yeah, at such a young age. I think it's interesting that you use that word ruthless. You know, I mean, and, and people say to me all the time um, when I'm when I'm around the paddocks, and you know, I've had a few conversations, a few heated conversations this year where people are talking about the age limits and uh, and things like that, and. You know, I'm all for it being safe. I'm not saying that we need to have carnage and people crashing left, right and centre and yeah. getting injured. We need to make it as safe as possible. For sure, we, we we need to do that. But I think you hit the nail on the head. If you look at the rules and the regulations now, especially in Moto3, in, in World Supersport 300, even to a degree in Supersport or Superstock 600, like when I saw you guys in the ESPK, you've got 10, 15, 12 guys that are still running in a group, you know? Yeah. And yes, you can argue, oh, but MotoGP, look, the whole grid is covered by a second. Yes, but the bikes have so much power that you can't, you know, some of the riders will make mistakes, which allows the gaps to open up. So you never get a 15 rider train in MotoGP, right? Maybe for a lap or two, but then the group splits. Yeah. So, you know, I think, you're, I think you're right. The fact is you've got so many riders that are able to find the limit. You said it earlier, you know, because you can on a little 300 or a little Moto3 bike, 
you know, I'm not saying it's easy to go fast. I'd be 10 seconds off the pace if it was me. But, you know, the point is, you know, as you said, there's, there's 15, 20 guys week in, week out that can find the limit very quickly. And there, you don't have an extra 20 horsepower to pull away. The bikes are so even, there's weight limits now. So it creates for this kind of racing where, as you said, you've got to be ruthless. I mean, watching some of the, the Moto3 races, you think, goodness me, like we're lucky that we've even got five people to the finish. I mean, some of the, the chaos that we've seen this year, um, it, it's it's quite scary sometimes. But I guess as a rider, when you're in the middle of it, you see it differently, right? I mean, we're watching on the TV. It looks chaotic. It looks scary. It's, it's exciting racing. But it doesn't feel that like, I imagine it doesn't feel like that when you're on track. I guess it's completely different. Uh, it is it's definitely different from watching it because I've been in situations where it looks so chaotic, but going back thinking to being in the situation, you kind of know what's going on around you. But I definitely think with like the three hundreds and the ETC now and moving up to that, it's so, so similar. All the bikes and the riders, the way everything is so similar. And because there's so much, speed now and you know kids are training every day on a pit bike and everything they're doing now there's there's not that much of a difference in um level of speed they're so similar especially with the um, the what's it the similarity in the bikes now and the yeah. riders weight i think it's just i think i don't know i i personally i personally don't agree too much with the uh, age limits i think it's just the fact I think that obviously the deaths this year was absolutely horrendous and it's, it's so bad for the racing world. But um, I don't think being 13 or 18 has much of a difference now with the, the way riders are. Like a 13-year-old has so much experience and awareness riding. I think it was just obviously horrible, like I said, but... Yeah, and, and you know what though, I I, I kind of I, I see that, and I see both sides of it, you know, and obviously active on Twitter, and you see different people having arguments, and you know, absolutely, I think you know, on one hand, we have a responsibility. A 13, 14 year old kid is still a kid, right? As much as we, you know, and I say it all the time to riders, look, the minute you walk through the paddock, you're a racer. It's your job. You know, at 13, it's not a job, right? Someone's paying for the kid to go racing, but. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it, it is horrific and, and you know, what happened this year and, and not, not just in, in motorcycle racing, but we've, we've seen fatalities in other sports as well. You know, and anybody that is, 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 is going to pass away and, and succumb to injuries in sport is, is terrible. But, you know, certainly the injuries this year um, that we've seen were, were just freak accidents. That would, you know, that would have been the same outcome any age, you know? Um, so, yeah, and no, I, th I think you're right. I think, you know, uh, the, the circuits are very different in, in Europe and, and, and riders are, are being able to find the limit. And it's always been dangerous though, hasn't it? I mean, motorsport, yeah. motorsport is dangerous. That's, that's, the, that's part of it. That's the risk that we, that we take. And like I said, no one's, no one's glorifying somebody breaking an arm or a leg or worse, you know, but um, sadly it is part of it. And all we can do is make it as, as safe as possible. And I think, you know, the FIM have done a good job now that they're making different rules with helmets and, and leathers and airbags and you know it's trying to make it as safe as it possibly possibly can be for you guys let's move away from from sort of the the, the crashes and things and let's focus on the good stuff because uh, as i said you've uh, you've had a, a really good career you've had a, a fantastic season this year as well um you know i know you can argue as a racer and say you, you want to be faster you want to be better up the results of course yeah, yeah. but you no know, do, do you often sometimes just sit back and think you know what, I'm, I'm 16 I've got a huge future. I mean, look at Valentino, who's only just retired. You've still got another 25 years in you. I mean, that's a quarter of a century, right? I mean, yeah, if you look at it from a different perspective, I mean, are you happy with, with how things went this year? Because the, the ESBK, I've got to say, it's funny, I was speaking to, to Jorge 
uh, one of the, the the marketing guys from ESBK actually this week, just about a few things, um, because then I was showing the races on TV and, and you know, I was, I was in Valencia watching it and I was, I was super impressed. I wasn't really sure what to expect, you know, because you see the CV Repsol Championship and you know that's a professional championship because it's it's the step into MotoGP. Um, you go to BSB, Moto America, World Superbike, you know it's going to be a professional championship. So I wasn't really sure what to expect, but, you know, you've raced in that championship a while now. It is a really top-level championship. I mean, you get factory riders. There. I mean, the, I was spent some time in the hospitality with, with Jordi Torres, who I know very well, and Eric Granado, and that team could quite easily slot into World Superbike. I mean, it's a full-on factory effort. I mean, and up and down the pit lane, your, your, your team as well, you know, fully professional team, garages all kitted out, huge big transporters, and the fans. I mean, they they were there in their thousands, even because of COVID. I mean, there were hundreds of people walking around. Um, yeah. I mean, I was really, really surprised at the level. It was um, a pleasant surprise for me. Yeah, I think ASBK, you don't really hear about it too much, but when you do go there, it is kind of where the kids grow up and where they where they get their professionalism. Like you've got Moto 4 there, Pre-Moto 3, and then the 600s, you've got 300s there. And, you know, 300s, you've had Michael and Kawakami in there. You've had, you know, you've got top riders who then went to do some wild cards in the World Championships and they've got top fives there. Same as the 600. The top five there, they've gone done some wild cards. Yeah, like wild Danny Valle and Unai Radre for MS yeah, Racing. I mean, they were actually racing in the World Championship, weren't they? I mean, uh, these, these are top fast riders. And they've got top tens in the World Championships. And if you look at the times now, it's just incredible, incredibly fast. Even if you compare it to the some of the Moto2, like we're back when the Moto2s were the 600, it's, you know, some of the riders, they'll be top, top 10 in the World Championships. And it's... The level is seriously high and my, my year wasn't wasn't too bad. I improved a lot, especially only being 16 years old, but I've I've suffered a lot with arm pump, which I'm thankfully getting surgery on in the 5th of Jan. Um, so it, it's been it's been hard because my style is quite not aggressive, but, you know, I like to lean over a lot, get really low and elbow all of that. And uh Riding like that, I get arm bump in the five to six laps. So the, the whole year I've been adapting to trying to change my style and go in differently, break differently. Coming from Ralph, he's helped me change my style to help my arm. And it's it's really hard riding your whole year, riding your whole career the way you want and comfortably and fast and then getting told you have to change because of a problem I can't control. Sure. And just explain that, Jamie. Obviously, I mean, I, I could explain it because I've, I've been in the sport a long, but we uh, a long time. But we we get a lot of listeners, as I say, from around the world, not just from motorsport. We have a lot of car fans and, and, and yeah. drift, drift fans in the US as well. We have a lot of subscribers there. So just just explain to someone that's maybe not familiar with the term arm pump. What exactly is it? What 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 is the problem? Well, basically, there's a um a bag called fascia around the muscle, and I'm not exactly too sure what's up, what's wrong with my arm, but I know the surgery, they, they cut open the arm, the forearm, and they cut the bag to relieve all the pressure. So if you look, all the MotoGP boys have it. Mo most professional riders now have the surgery because, you know, it's you get it on braking, accelerating, and it's, you, you lose all feeling in your arm. Yeah, so, so basically it's restricting you, isn't it? That's the point. Yeah. I mean, you're, the, whatever it is inside the, the, the muscle or something, it swells or it tightens up to the point yeah. where you, you physically can't move your arm as you normally would. And, and we yeah, see riders right. having massages to try and 
take away the cramp and all that kind of stuff. So I guess as a motorcycle racer, you need to be able to uh, to, to, to pull the clutch in and, and, and open the throttle, right? So I mean, it's, it's pretty. It's, it's it can be a it can be a career a career stopper, can't it? If I guess yeah, it, if you can't fix it, I've really really struggled with it this year. Like at the start of the year, um, there were some problems we had, um, but. I just I, I couldn't finish half the races and because I just physically can't on, hold on to the bike I remember a race at Navarra I, I was going into a corner and about five laps in I lost feeling but obviously you know I'm having money put in for me and I, I want to finish the race and there's you know it's really annoying frustrating but I, I was I was going around and then one lap my arm fell off the bike in the corner and I just I had to come in. I just thought, oh, I'm going to hurt myself, obviously. So I had to come in from that one. I've had to retire from other races. And it's it's really frustrating going going abroad to race and not finishing a race. Um, and I've had physio every week. I've had tablets to help it. I've got things to you know put into my arm. I've had so much treatment and it just hasn't helped so now when i turn 17 i can get the surgery so getting that done and uh get training again so yeah great stuff because I, I know when i saw you in valencia you uh you were scoring points and, and having a pretty good time and then obviously the the final round um i know it didn't end the way you wanted because you had a, you had a crash but uh you were uh, well inside the top six at one point. Um, it, uh, it was Hareth, wasn't it? I think at the end of the season, um, obviously a little bit wet conditions, but that maybe helped you a little bit with the arm pump because yeah. you're not needing to be as physical. So, you know, I think that the positive you can take is that, you know, you know that you can ride, um, yeah. get everything together. But it, it must have been nice to end the season, at least, you know, the name up at the sharp end on the uh, on the timing screens, just to remind people before you go into the winter, hey, come on, we might have had a tough season, but next year you better watch out. Yeah, no, it was... Last round was quite good. I mean, that was my first time in the wet on the 600. Oh, really? So, yeah, it was my first time on the on the 600 in the wet. And um, I was like, okay, I'll take it steady. I, I know, obviously, I, I was always good in the wet coming up. And uh, I was like, obviously, more power, everything's... But it's still a bike. And it's still, you know, you, I know how to ride a bike. Um, but obviously, you've got a bigger tyre. You have more, more leeway. Um, so I went out, got used to it. And then I was like it's a lot of grip so i got up to speed and then um yeah i i, I um i forgot where i qualified now but in the race i was making up a lot of positions i got up to i think i was in the battle for 13th overall and about fourth or fifth in my class um and then i, I remember it was just it was absolutely pouring down i couldn't see a thing obviously when it's wet the riders have a light on the back of their on the back of their seat so i was literally just going off their light i couldn't see them i couldn't see the curbs it was it was really bad it was i, I don't understand how they didn't red flag it to be honest but yeah going in turn one i tapped the brake lots of standing water and it just just went under me um but it, i was annoyed obviously i would have been nice to finish the race but I, I i got up from the crash it was only a little slide and then i was like well you know i was i was going fast i know i could have passed these these boys and then um Maybe you've maybe you've got on the podium for the the last race. Um, so it, it was a good way to end it. No, a very positive way to end it. So, well, we've been we've been chatting for almost twenty two minutes. I mean, time flies. I know this. Well, yeah. Is, yeah, I know you were saying you weren't sure how the podcast was going to go, but I was like, no, we'll we'll just talk. So it's it's great. Yeah, I'm sure people great. listening are, are, have really enjoyed it. I've got to ask you just a couple of questions just to finish off. 
2022, what are the plans? Are you staying staying in ESPK? Is that the plan, or do you have some other uh, other options? Are you, are you going to come to the World Superbikes? Maybe do a wildcard, get you on the paddock show singing. That would be great. That would be great. Well, there is um there's an opportunity which has opened up for me um, next year, which will be um, possible. I, I think I, it's um it will be the Moto Two in Fim. Oh wow! Okay. Um, which has opened up. We're just we're looking into that and waiting for some um, details on that. Uh, either that or back into ESBK, get another year on the six hundred, and then hopefully, yeah, some wild cards in the um, World Championships there. But um, yeah, it's looking positive next year. Um, but of course, I need to get this surgery done and then uh, straight away get into the testing and um, yeah, because the reason we were hoping to move up to Moto Two. We, we were looking at it anyway, but then we got this um, opportunity come through and we were like, okay, this could be good for me because the way I ride the bike um, is Moto2 style, growing up on the, the GP chassis, like Moto4, ETC, sure. carrying a lot of corner speed and the Moto2, you've got to do that. And with the 600, you kind of got to square it off and get on the throttle quick. And I haven't struggled with that. I adapted quite well, but definitely still, I don't know how to say it, but in my blood, it's carrying a lot of corner speed and just going as fast as you can really and I think the Moto 2 will be really good for me so hopefully that go, that goes through but if not back on the 600 which isn't bad at all and then um, yeah and that's two, two great options isn't it I mean as you said uh, to, to stay at the sort of the, the highest super sport level in Spain or, or to be on the uh, the Moto 2 European Championship I mean that's two two great options that you've got in front of you and for the British fans, especially, um, that's going to be another another name to, to watch out for. And as I say, you're only still 16, so you know yep. a couple of years under your belt, and you'll be uh, you'll be following Jake Dixon into Moto Two World Championship. Yeah, well, that is that is the plan. I mean, I'll be only 17 going into next year, and if I did go into uh, the Moto Two, I think I'd be the youngest British ever to do it. So that would be yeah, quite cool. Um, so yeah, hopefully that goes through. See what happens there. Following year, hopefully get onto a triumph, and then um, see see what happens. Hopefully, yeah, be great stuff. Great I'm looking forward to that. That's great. Well, definitely keep us informed. I know we stay in touch anyway, but keep keep us informed, and uh, I'd be very much happy to uh, to get you back on the show when uh, when you've had that first podium in ASBK or on Moto Two. I mean, that would be great, wouldn't yeah. it? That would be yeah. that would be uh, the, the icing on the cake. Um, obviously, just to finish off with uh, Jamie again, thank you so much for, on behalf of the, the podcast for, for for coming on board. You're our our first guest, along with Dominique Agata, uh, on our Super Sport show, uh, which is kicking us off after a few months' uh, absence. Um, I forgot, you know, when when I started this, we were doing it every week, and I thought this will be easy uh, in yeah. the middle of the pandemic because we couldn't leave the house. Remember, I was like, oh, this is great every week, and then we did it every fortnight, and then this year I was like, oh, this is impossible. You can't record a podcast in a, in an airport, so. Uh, we, we've, had, we've had a few months off, but we're coming back in style. Finally, Jamie, how can people follow you? How can people get in touch, um, you know, well, on social media? or Maybe there's a millionaire listening who suddenly decides that he wants to pay for you to go to Moto2. So how can these people get in touch with you? Um, no, I've got, obviously, Instagram, just at JamieRaces25. And then um, Twitter is the same. Um, I think I've got Facebook, but my dad runs that. And then... Um, yeah, that, that's it, really. I, I think I've got a website um, in the works at the moment. Yeah. Uh, no, don't that that went bust, but I think. Um, I think and obviously, when the website comes out, I guess you can you'll be pushing that out on your social media yeah. anyway, so people can follow. So it's Jamie uh, races, not races. So just again, I'll just clarify that for those that are listening. Jamie J A M I E, and then races R A C E S. And then 25. So Jamie races 25 on Twitter and on Instagram. So, yeah, the ch- you can just send me a nice little check for uh, for the millions of people that are going to start yep. following you, mate. Perfect.
Good stuff. Well, as I said, thank you uh, very much indeed. And, and compliments again to your mum or whoever it was that, that yeah. maybe it was your dad. I don't, know, I don't know whoever decorated the tree, but I tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, I wish I could take a screenshot because this is a beautiful Christmas tree. It really is. I'm actually quite envious. I've just got a purple light behind me, which is quite boring and not very festive at all. But uh, but Jamie's getting in the mood. So have a super, super Christmas, mate. Give my best uh, to your uh, to your dad and the rest of your family. And thank you for, for joining us. No for everybody else, stay with us. We're going to take a short commercial break and we'll be chatting in a few moments to the 2021 Supersport World Champion from Switzerland, Dominique Agata. Stay with us. Our final guest on the Vroom podcast this week is the 2021 Supersport World Champion. And I'm delighted to say that he was the rider responsible for delivering an 11th World Championship to Tenkarte Racing, the 10th in the Supersport uh, Championship. And he's dialing in now uh, from his home in Switzerland, Dominique Agata. Uh, Dominique, thank you for joining us on the podcast. And uh, good to see that you uh, are still awake after the Monte Carlo party. It was, uh, it was a late night, but uh, you're looking good, mate. <laughs> Yeah, hello everyone. Uh, thanks to to calling me and uh, yeah, for sure it was a busy weekend, but I'm still alive. Yes. <laughs> yeah, good. It's good. I've got to say, ladies and gents, we're recording this as we record all of our podcasts uh, on Zoom, so uh, I can see uh, Dominique at home. And uh, it's got to be cold in Switzerland because you look like a snowman, mate. You've got the scarf on, the big jumper on. I mean, I thought it was cold in London, but uh, it looks even colder where you are. Yeah, in Switzerland, since oh, already some weeks ago, the snow is coming. So it's around minus three, four degrees. And for me, it's uh, really too cold this weather. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Well, I know you're going to join us for the next 15 or 20 minutes. We've got lots to talk about. I know that some of the fans have been sending in some questions uh, as well. So, um, before we talk about 2021, because I know it was a fantastic season for you, uh, 10 wins, 16 podiums, uh, a really superb uh, season for you. Let's turn the clock back, because I think I first interviewed you when you were in 125 racing uh, back in the day. Uh, a lot's changed since since we went two-stroke racing, um, but what, what a great career. I mean, it's, it's taken you sort of over a decade, but finally world champion. But let's turn the clock back to the very beginning. How did you get into racing then? How, how did you actually begin? Um, I start uh, on the bike quite early with three years old. Uh, my mama and papa had a car and bike workshop. So they give me a small uh, sidecar and I was driving around the house with, with it. And with five years, I did my first uh, motocross race in Switzerland. And uh, until I was 13, and then I jumped to road racing. And uh, I went to the Junior Cup 1-5 to in German Championship, and then the IDM 1-5. to And then in 2006, no, 2007, I was in the World Championship uh, in 1-5, to three years. And 2010, I go to Moto2 then. Yeah, and of course it was Moto2, uh, I remember watching uh, in Kota and some races, you were top six in the World Championship. Moto2, a lot of people will say, and we've had a lot of questions about this, we've seen in, in recent years, Randy Krumenacker coming into uh, to the, the World Supersport Championship, becomes world champion, Andrea Locatelli the same, now yourselves, you know, so three, three riders in the last four years uh, have, have become champion. 
do you also as a rider find that it's it's difficult in, in Grand Prix racing because we're talking fractions of a second and you've got to be on the best bike, the best team to really have a chance. And I'm not being disrespectful to any team on the Motor 2 grid, but it's quite clear if you're not on one of the, the top three or four teams, the chance of winning is, is, is pretty difficult. Yes, that's true. Uh, sure, there is um, a few teams that they can invest much more time, much more money. Uh, to just be perfect in any uh, situation or in any uh, material or people and the rider can fully focus on, on racing and have a good bike. So um, let's say the, the Moto2 field is also with around 30 riders. And yeah, there is many, many riders that uh, have the potential to win so was around 20 or 25 riders can can win can win a race and i think in in a super sport it's it's maybe only 10 riders who can win a, a race so i think the level is slightly different but um yeah in both category the level is is high yeah, for sure. And I mean, as a rider, do you, how did you manage, certainly in the last couple of years in, in your Moto2 career, how do you mentally stay focused and mentally stay prepared for, for racing in a championship where realistically, you know, you, you may be fighting for, for 10th place because that's all that the, the bike's good for, you know? I mean, it's got to be very difficult. Um, yeah, mentally, it's a, a big part in our sport, I think, because... Uh, the material you cannot really uh, turn around when you are racing on Sunday. You have the bike you have, um, the the fitness and the, um, how you say the preparation for your physical. Uh, everybody is uh, on a very high level. Every everybody train every day to to be fit on the bike. So if you have good result the the mental side it's always easy to handle <laughs> uh but when the result is not so good and you have different goals then it's very difficult to really keep the pressure away or um that you are relaxed riding this is uh yeah some 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 hard part in in racing but when you know that you write with, uh, like we write in Emi Augusta was coming new. There was not a lot of ex, ex, uh, expectation. So only like that you can improve every race, uh, that you come closer to the, to the top riders. So then when you write around 20 or 15, then it's already a good result for, for this. But I was winning race. So when you win one time a race, you always want to 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 win a race again. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Let's fast forward to to Moto E because you know after some some great years in, in Moto Two uh, Championship, you had the opportunity to ride in in Moto E, and and again, a lot of fans that listen uh, to the podcast around the world have mixed views on on Moto E and, and myself as well. You know, I've been involved in motorcycle racing for for 10, 15 years, and I wasn't really sure what to expect with Moto E, but it seems it's a very level playing field and, and certainly for you, it, it allowed you to remind the world 
that you are still a fast rider, you know, on, on an equal opportunity to, to be able to compete and to win races again. And, and we've seen you at the front for a couple of years in, in, uh, in Moto E, coming close to the championship. Was that a difficult decision also to, to go to Moto E in a championship where you didn't really know what to expect? I'm guessing you'd never ridden an electric bike before. Yeah, for me, I was um, really uh, surprised when I was jumping the first time on this electric bike, I was also quite nervous all the winter to, to see how this bike works because I had no idea. Um, sure, I still have uh, fuel in my blood. Um, I like more to ride a real fuel bike with, uh, with noise, with vibration, with more power, more light. Uh, I think the, the electric bike is, is the future that needs uh, still, I don't know, 10, 15 years to really develop the, the batteries and the bike. Um, but yeah, the, the chunks I get from the Intact team was for sure a, a good opportunity to again show many people that I can compete with a bike that everybody in the field have the same one, uh, that I can be the fastest. And this was good, but in the end, I would like to go back to Moto2, but then there was not any more chunks, and then I was landing in, in Supersport. Yeah, well, I know that uh, I speak for many of us involved in World Superbike. When you were announced to coming to the to World Supersport Championship, it was, uh, it was a good day for us because uh, we've seen the championship over the last five or six years getting stronger and stronger. So uh, when, we, when we see big names like Dominique Agata joining the championship, it's, it's good for everybody involved. For Tenkarte Racing, of course, um, they jumped at the chance to, to, to bring you on board. A fantastic team with a massive pedigree. And uh, you delivered. Uh, there's no question about that. Uh, were you expecting the season to go the way that it did? Um, because again, on paper, it looks like you dominated the championship and you did dominate the championship, but it wasn't all so easy. I mean, you were, you were, made to, you were pushed hard. You, know? you had some good competition this year, um, but in the end, you came out on top. <laughs> Uh, for sure, the season like we had this year, we never expect because um, to finish 16 time out of 23 races, I think, yeah. uh, on the podium, uh, 10 wins, uh, the worst result was a fifth place. Um, I never crashed it, uh, not even in practice. Only one time I got crashed out in Manicourt from another riders. Uh, we have no technical issue and I think we win all what we could win for the best lap award, the, the most time uh, in front, the, the most laps, um, the team championship, the manufacturer championship. <laughs> so uh, and don't forget the qualifying award you also won uh, the best qualifier as well i mean it's quite uh, funny uh, i know the first the first race of the season when you you won the race and you had the fastest lap and you came on the paddock show and i said and here's the certificate and here's a watch and here's another trophy and oh, here's yeah. another trophy and it was like you're going to need a new housemate the amount of trophies you were winning but uh i can see the smile on your face now it, it, it's good it's good as a rider to, to be winning for sure yeah, this makes life much more easy and we work all very hard to, to achieve this. And yeah, like I say, it was was not not uh, so easy to, to think that we really can win also the championship because we know we miss also two races. <laughs> um, then 
the, the Tenkata team came new to the championship with uh, with R6 Yamaha. So we had no data, but they make a big effort to go testing in these racetracks that I didn't write, like in Manicur, in Navarra, um, in Most. So we had already some data and I know where uh, to to go on the track. And for sure, this small, small, um, uh, how you say it, uh, that the small efforts, no, it was not small, but the big efforts that the team makes to, to, uh, to, to the season, it helps for sure to, to win the championship. Yeah, and uh, again, I've never seen so many Dutch people crying uh, when you crossed the line in uh, in Argentina. It was uh, it was a nice moment, uh, and I'm, I'm still still joking with with Kervin. He still owes me a champion's T-shirt, actually. So if you do speak to Kervin, boss, um, tell him to get it in the post because uh, I'm still waiting for it. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> now, obviously, it's been announced that you are going to stay with the team next year. You're staying in World Supersport. There will be a rule change next year, which is uh, we've not talked about that on the podcast. We've we've been away for a couple of months. As the defending champion, um, Dominique, uh, your thoughts about that? Because obviously, you, I'm assuming that Tenkati will remain with with Yamaha. You you won't suddenly move manufacturer. So I'm, I'm assuming you'll line up on on the Yamaha R6 um, with the knowledge that there are going to be Ducatis, Triumph, other mach- other machines that we haven't seen for for many years uh, back on the grid. What, what are your thoughts about the new rules and the direction that Supersports take taking next year? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I'm a little bit worried um, when I think about next year. I also get a lot this question, what I think. Uh, I don't know, because in the past, all the or most of the bikes, they had the same, um, how you say, cubic or hoop round, the CC? Yeah, the, yeah, the capacity, yeah, yeah, the CC, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we are writing R6, this is 600 with four cylinder. Um, Kawasaki, I think same, or maybe they can have a little bit more. I'm not exactly sure. But then there is coming uh, Dugatti uh, with a V2 uh, 990 and the Triumph with 765 three-cylinder and uh, Emi Augusta, they bring also new 800 three-cylinder. So um, nobody exactly know how their bike will be. Mm-hmm. and how the regulation will be also so um yeah i don't know i i think we just concentrate to to tune our bike as fast as possible and me i prepare myself physically and mentally in the winter uh, best as possible and then we will see when the first races start but also, I, I think it's a good a good thing that there is coming more manufacture, that they let the chunks to, to other manufacture. But in the end, um, you need to have a, a similar level or a similar um, bike performance because it cannot be possible when then some bikes, they have, I don't know, five or 10 horsepower more than another one. Yeah. Yeah. And I think all I can say from, from that as well, and we've had we've had lots of discussions on the podcast and, and in the paddock show and also in Moto America when we've talked about it uh, over there. Um, I think if you look at the rules in World Superbike as an example, um, the parity of the motorcycles is quite 
quite clear now. You know, every manufacturer in World Superbike has been on the podium this year. Um, four manufacturers have won races. So with the balancing rules and the rev limits, I'm, I'm sure that, uh, that the FIM will do a, will do a good job. And, and I'm, I'm sure you don't have to have too many sleepless nights over the winter, Dominic. I'm sure you're going to be uh, competitive next year. We've got a couple of quick questions just before we let you go uh, and uh, have dinner or, or whatever you're going to be doing tonight uh, from the fans uh, that we've had uh, coming in. So I'm just going to fire these at you in, in no particular order. First question uh, coming from one of our listeners in Australia is, will Dominique run number 77 or will he, and then in brackets, as he should as the champion, run number one next year? So Dominique, what can you tell us? Are you running number one or are you sticking with the 77? No, I will uh, write the 77 because it's my lucky number. I have it lines a long, long time, and it's like, um, how you say, uh, like a recognized number. And yeah, I keep the 77. Okay, 77, maybe with a gold helmet or something. Maybe we can we can still put the champion in there somewhere. Yeah, for sure. I tried to make a, a special design maybe on the number. I. This is the strange thing in super sport. We cannot change the numbers like we want. Everybody needs to have the same design, the same color. And this is a little bit old school. I sh and um, they should change this regulation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Let, let, let's, let's, let's see the full identity of the riders. Uh, next question is coming from an Austrian fan who says, have you ever been electrocuted when you've crashed in Moto E? That's a strange question, but have you ever been electrocuted? No, I still have my hair, so <laughs> not yeah, like unlike me. me. <laughs> unlike me. <laughs> no, uh, no. There is um, uh, on the battery. There is some lights on the left and the right side. So when you crash, you need to to see first the light before you touch the bike. And okay. when the, uh, the light is green, you can touch the bike. But when uh, there is a red, red, you cannot touch. And then there is coming special um marshal that can lift the, the bike with uh, special gloves or special machines okay good i didn't know that so I'm, I'm learning something on the podcast tonight that's good uh final quick question from one of our fans this is a british fan uh, who wants to know when who would you say was your biggest rival this year not necessarily the rider that finished second or third in the championship but who was your hardest competitor on track that's a good question, actually, because you can interpret that in many ways, I guess. But uh, yeah, uh, who, who would you say was your, your, your fiercest rival uh, in Supersport this year? Oh, yeah. <sighs> no, I, 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 need, I think I need to say it's uh, like Odendal because um, we were battling quite a few times, especially like in Navarra or in, um, in um, Estoril, uh, also in Ar Aragon, the first race already. Uh, and I think he, he, <laughs> it was the hard, hardest um, um, competitor because he had quite a, a fast bike. So to overtake him uh, was very, very difficult. So yeah, this was, this was clearly my hardest uh, right in, in this year to battle with good job good job well obviously dominique will be back in world super sport next year you can follow him on social media he's on twitter he's on uh, instagram as well and he's always posting some, some really cool things i've got to ask you one final question uh, and i want an honest answer from you dominique and this this is answer will depend on whether i send you a christmas card or not um do you enjoy being on the paddock show <laughs> 
<laughs> now he's now he's thinking, ladies and gents. Now he doesn't know how to answer because I will say this though: it's been a strange year because you've not actually experienced the paddock show as we would normally do the paddock show because we've had very strict restrictions in World Superbike. We've only had two races this year where we've had fans in the, the paddock. And in fact, in Most in the Czech Republic, we didn't even have the paddock show inside, it was outside. So I guess Argentina was probably the closest that you've got to something similar. But even then we didn't do meet and greets. We never did a lot of the things. So uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, mm, I'm, I'm interested. I, I, you can still answer the question though. Uh, yeah 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 let me let me uh give me a second to think about it no <laughs> like, like you say it's um when when you have people like in argentina or indonesia there is uh i don't know nearly 100 people then it's already nice to to give the fans something back that they can really be very close to to the riders i like to give something back to our uh, supporter or fans and stuff like this but there is yeah, I, I don't know how exactly the paddock show is when there is, I don't know, 5,000 people around, you know, then will be something uh, more special. But let's say also sometimes uh, when you make the paddock show, you are in the letter and when outside is like 30 degrees and you just finish to, to have the race, finish the race. So... Sometimes for the writer, it's also nice to debrief with the team, to, to check the data. But then first, okay, we need to do some media stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think we, you make it well. You know, you, you ask every writer quickly some question. When they win a small award, do you give the award? And then uh, we can give some caps to the fans. And I think this is uh, very important for, for uh, also make this superbike paddock a little bit more um, famous than than uh, moto chippy maybe yeah no that's 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 a good good answer good answer i, I like the way that he, uh, he he didn't say he needs to change the paddock show presenter just yet so i think i've still got a job next year it's, it's good i'm going to be around for a few more years uh, a few more years um what i will say is normally we do especially at donnington we have a huge concert for for two wheels for life a charity which i think you will have seen at um, at silverstone with the day of champions we do something similar at the British round. So we normally have an auction and, and riders getting involved and, and singing and all kinds of crazy stuff. So uh, you've heard it here on the Vroom podcast, uh, Dominique likes to give back to the fans. So he will be involved at Donington in 2022. And on that note, just before we let Dominique go, I should just point out that tickets for the British round are on sale and Supersport is going to be racing at Donington Park next year. So uh, that is exciting. And I think if memory serves me right, that's probably the first time that I met you at Donington Park in 125s, possibly. You raced at Donington, right? Yeah, yeah, I think. It must have been, yeah, would it would have been Donington or Valencia. I'm sure it was Donington. It must have been Donington. God, I'm showing my age now. Let's not talk about it because I'm still only 21. So let's um, let's move on. Let's move on. Dominique, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you've been flat out coming back from the FIM Awards and you've been busy all day uh, and we've talked for a little bit longer than 20 minutes. So uh, I appreciate you giving up the time. Have a great Christmas, uh, buddy. And I will look forward to seeing you at some point in testing and obviously ready for round one in Aragon next year. So uh, thanks again for joining us, mate. Yeah. Thanks for listening and I wish you also all a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And yeah, see you next year on track.
Big, big thank you to my two guests this week, to Jamie Davis and to Dominique Egerter. And a big, big thank you to all of you for tuning in. I know it's been a few months without the Vroom podcast, but we're happy to say that we are back and uh, looking forward to entertaining you through the off-season before we go racing again in 2022. Next week, we continue with our Champions Special. We'll be talking to the newly crowned Supersport 300 World Champion from Spain, Adrian Huertas. And we'll also be speaking to a youngster who made his debut in Moto America this year, the young Kiwi who now lives and races in Thailand. Axel Peterson will be joining us in seven days' time. We hope you will too. Room, your weekly motorsport fix podcast is produced by Michael Hill and is edited by Gareth Bouch of Room Media. The music is by the Rain Dogs and it's a production of Michael Hill Promotions. Yeah.